Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. for being here this morning. Uh, my name is Jonathan, one of the pastors here, and I'm really excited to um, share this morning. Last week, Greg shared out of our Proverbs series on work, the importance of work, the foundation of work, I mean, going from Genesis all the way through. And we were talking this week more about it, and he said, you know, that could be like two or three weeks worth. And um, it just kind of put a seed in my mind to say like, okay, maybe we need to revisit that. And I have a passion for this area that I want to share with you this morning um, that really is kind of jumping out of Proverbs a little bit. You'll, you'll find a lot of the stuff Greg talked about last week. Um, but there's this thing about work and the kingdom of God, and it's so important. So uh, Martin Luther had this thing, which I thought was so beautiful. He said, it's not that the priesthood of believers means that lawyers and ditch diggers can be priests. It's that being a lawyer and a ditch digger is priestly work in the kingdom. Because if you do everything as unto Christ, all of a sudden whatever you do can be, as long as it's not like unethical, right? <laughs> I mean, there's some things you can't do unto Christ. We can just say that as a church. There's certain things that you could be doing with your life that you can't actually do unto Christ. But there are a lot of things that you may feel like is unspiritual work. Greg talked last week about the sacred and secular divide. Right, that somehow being a pastor, evangelist, or missionary is really spiritual, and somehow, you know, being a truck driver, or a teacher, or a stay-at-home mom, or, you know, whatever, is not spiritual, and that's just not true. It's not according to the Bible, right? So, so what happens is, in the priesthood of all believers, everything we do can be worship, and it can be holy, and it can demonstrate the goodness and power and love of Christ, Right? Now, doing that is actually really difficult, right? Because it puts us into situations where um, we actually have to consider the things that we do, how we do it, why we do it, where we do it, those kind of things, and say, what would Jesus do if he were in this profession, right? What, is, what does it look like to be faithful to the scriptures and these kind of things? And so, um, Skyline has a unique history. Many of you are, are pretty new here, but we planted um, in late 2007. We embedded ourselves in the Sandridge building um, uh, downtown, and we actually, our offices for a good while, three or four years, were on the eighth floor. I mean, we rode the elevator um, with Sandridge employees. We would do funerals and weddings and counseling and classes, and it was just this beautiful thing. But I think what it did is it gave us kind of a marketplace feel. And, and what I, when we looked up, we're like, wow, we've attracted a lot of people who are either entrepreneurs or they're entrepreneurial leaders or the people who really value what they do Monday through Friday. It's really important to them. They're not just clocking in and clocking out. They actually care about it, and they want that thing to be a part 
of their kingdom life, right? They don't want to just check out and come to, come to worship on Sunday and then grind it out and then come and worship. They actually want to know what that means. And so, as I was uh, growing as a pastor, I started looking around and saying, like, who's, who's doing this kind of work? And uh, if you know anything about entrepreneurs, um, it's kind of like cats, right? If you heard the phrase herding cats, that's what it's like trying to disciple entrepreneurs where they're like, lead me, but don't tell me what to do. And you're like, okay, like, how do I do this? You know, so I was looking around, like, right, for, for who does this. And I found um, through a connection with our, our friend John Tyson in New York City, a guy named Dave Blanchard who had founded an organization called Praxis, which was a, uh, what they would call in the startup world, an accelerator for Christian entrepreneurs who would bring their for-profit or non-profit, uh, you know, uh, organizations into this thing to be trained and equipped how to live for Jesus in the midst of that. And it spanned the spectrum. But I loved how they talked about work. I love how they, they realized for many people, and, and, and almost all of us, right, if you're not in vocational ministry, the biggest chunk of your time for the rest of your life will be spent where you work. And it really struck me as a pastor that the best vehicle for discipleship is business. It's, it's your work. It is education. It is whatever you do because you get so much time in that world with people, right? So if you have employees or you work with, with people in an office, you get 40 to 60 to sometimes, I don't know how much you work. Some of you might work 80. I don't know. You get all that time and I get you for like two and a half, maybe every week, right? And, and so we started to, to think about what that means and, and they use this phraseology that's about redemption. But one of the things I want to do this morning is introduce you to this organization who Skyline has supported financially. It's a nonprofit and who probably in my life has made the greatest impact in how I disciple and lead people who are engaged in this work. And it's super helpful. So what I feel like from last week, um, we got the big, big picture of work and the scriptures, and we span again. Today, I want to put like a finer point on it and give you some language, right, to interpret your life as it relates to work. So you're going to see the word entrepreneur a lot, but you can just sub entrepreneur for leader, for worker, right? You don't have to be an entrepreneur to get this stuff and to embed it, but all their language is that. So um, I'm going to tell you about Praxis, right? Um, because I want you to know about it. I want you to like go after church and research it. Go look at their stuff. It's super helpful. They've got playbooks, like a redemptive playbook for business, a redemptive playbook for, entre- uh, for, um, for nonprofits. They've got a rule of life that's really beautiful, how to kind of build your life. But it practices, it's a creative engine for redemptive entrepreneurship, supporting founders, funders, and innovators motivated by their faith to love their neighbors and renew culture. But I love like... Their goal is to love their neighbors and renew the culture, not through their extra time missionary work, but through what they do Monday through Friday, eight to six, right? They're not saying like, oh, I get to go into the world and check out of my faith or check out of the kingdom of God. They're like, no, 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 that's the main place that's God, that God's going to use my witness. And Greg said last week, your profession becomes your profession, right? Your profession becomes your profession. So that's, that's what it is. Um, you're not going to be able to read that all the way, but I'm going to read it. They, they talk about the future of culture. So they say the world we'll live in tomorrow will largely be shaped by the imagination of today's entrepreneurs, right? So think about who the, the biggest celebrities in the world are almost no longer athletes anymore. They're actually like Jeff Bezos. Everyone knows who he is. Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, right? And it's fascinating that so much of culture gets shaped in the marketplace, which means that Christians need to be in the marketplace 
creating culture, bringing kingdom culture into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods, into businesses, right? But we're acknowledged that not all of the cultural influence is leading to healthy lives or positive social impact today, right? So I love that he says that the world needs people who have an alternative script that they're living out of. Right, so you go to work every day and you have a different script, an internal like monitoring system that you're operating out of that allows you to make decisions and listen and learn and speak differently than people who aren't believers, people who don't know Jesus, right? We're, we actually have a different thing going on. I love this. He says, our opportunity is people who are spiritually serious, culturally astute, and in community, that's, that's our goal, is, is to produce Christians who are spiritually serious, culturally astute, in community, who can be witnesses for the truth, goodness, and beauty of the Christian gospel through their leadership behavior and in the products, services, brands, and organizations that they build. So we're actually baking the kingdom of God, the gospel, the good news, into the things we create. Because we would say, as Christians, we don't want to create something that doesn't bring light and truth and beauty and goodness into the world, right? So we we think about what we do with our life, with our business, through the lens of, does this thing create truth, goodness, or beauty into the world? And the last, I love, he says, the the future of the church, that um, we can be optimistic about our public witness and our ability to engage the next generation in faith, which, which means that Christ followers are committed to love and serve their neighbors, in what they do every day, right? So what does this look like? I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip this so we can move forward. So one of the cool things about this organization before we dig into the actual meat of this is just what they've done. If you see that, it's gonna be hard to read. I can read it from here. That they've actually launched in about 10 years, they've launched 191 ventures. Isn't this cool? Like it's a nonprofit that what they've done is they've launched for-profit businesses and non-profit corporations into the world. They've trained them and equipped them. They launched them in the world. They've raised about $108 million to fund these organizations. That that number, 5,057, that's how many jobs they've created through through their group. Isn't that cool? Christians in the world with their goal to create meaningful work for people. Kingdom-centered organizations where people can flourish. The first time I went to Africa, Greg Dewey, we're in Sierra Leone, and a leader of this organization, he's saying, you know, we've, we've heard it said, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. He said, underlying all of those things is I just needed a job. If you could give me a job, I'd have all those things for myself. Because there is no work, I have to ask you. So he said, Christians should be more interested in the bigger scheme of creating meaningful work for people, creating jobs for people, which is a beautiful thing. We should also care about people who are hungry, right? So if someone's hungry, we feed them. If someone's naked, we clothe them. If somebody's thirsty, we give them a drink. If somebody doesn't have shelter, we figure it out. We get them sheltered. But we also say that's not our only work. We actually want to get people to a place of dignity and meaning. So what, what is this thing? What is redemptive entrepreneurship, redemptive work? Um, I'm going to read this real quick. They, they would describe redemptive as creative restoration through sacrifice. Did you hear that? What is redemption? Redemption is creative restoration through sacrifice. So what did Jesus do for you on the cross? God created a solution that restored you through sacrifice. 
Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross that you might be restored with probably the most creative solution in the history of the world. Nobody would have thought that God could have thought to come as a human being and to die on the cross. But isn't, isn't it beautiful? So here's, can I uh, set something? People who have the Holy Spirit living in them should be the most creative human beings on the earth. Right? If God is the ultimate creator, he created everything that we see and don't see. <laughs> the universe that's constantly expanding, God's holding all that. That creator, he lives in you. Now all of a sudden, Christians should be the most creative people in the world. And then through most of history, we were. Most of the best art, like science, theology, right? Uh, uh, hospitals were created by Christians. All this stuff, they all came through Christians who believed that creativity was this output of people filled and led by the Holy Spirit, which I think is being recovered in these days. I think it's being recovered. Like the Holy Spirit's your helper, right? So if you run a business or you're an employee, you don't just go to work alone every day to, to gut it out. You have a helper who lives inside you. Are you asking him for help? <laughs> right? So our, our friend John Tyson is like, you know, if you need help, you should be like walking the parking lot of your work going, help! Like, Jesus, help me. I don't know what to do. I'm in a bind. We need money. We're going broke. I don't know what it is. I need help. Ask God for help. So many times we're looking, we're like exhausting all of our human resources and we've never actually asked God to help us with our work. Help me. And it's amazing what happens when he helps So, this, this is a frame that will help you, and this is whether you lead a business or work in a business, this will help you frame what we do. And I know that's hard to see, so I, I'll get a little bit finer point on it when we move forward. So, the redemptive frame, right, allows us to see there's three ways to work. At the center there is what, what uh, Praxis would call exploitative, right? It's where you use your work or your business to get what you want, Right? You, you take out of the system. The next level would be ethical, and the third would be redemptive, and it's broken out across three things. So in your business, in your work, you have strategy, operations, and leadership. And you have the choice to either be exploitative or ethical or redemptive in all those things, right? In your leadership, you can use your leadership to exploit people, or you can use it to kind of baseline, or you can use it to push the edge of what the kingdom of Jesus actually looks like here on earth as it is in heaven, right? And so, let's look at this real quick. So, the exploitative, right? I'm going to read that real quick. Exploitative is, this is the way to take all you can get, gain any advantage, prevail, to possess. Exploitative uh, actors most often approach the, uh, their venture or the business with a zero sum, which is I win and you lose. Like, right? There, there, there's only a one winner in this scenario. And what's fascinating about this, um, this applies through practices, I've realized, this applies to nonprofits and for-profits, so, you know, some of the most exploitative leadership you'll see can be in a nonprofit. They use people, they damage people, they control people. So it's not just, you know, nonprofits are good, for-profits are bad. No, no, no. It's all, they're all just in the same box in God's eyes. What are you creating? How are you leading people? Exploitative is I, I, you take all you can get, you win and control, I win, you lose. That's that middle circle there. Then you have the ethical, right? So the ethical, and many of you, if you've grown up Christian, that you've heard these kind of things. It's to do things right, to do no harm, keep the rules, play fair, solve problems, add value. We win-win wherever we can, right? And the motivating force behind this is to, to be good and to do good. But sometimes to be good and do good can still be self-centered, right? 
You, you can still avoid issues and problems in the world by just being ethical, right? Because in your industry, what is ethical in your industry might actually be unethical according to the scriptures, right? Like there's practices in almost every industry that you're like, oh, this is, everybody just kind of turns <laughs> their head from this thing, and, and we all know it's probably not good, um, and yet, I don't know, can we, can we survive without it, right? And so much of our life in the world is going to be us testing the word of God, which says, can I succeed in the world with God's way? Do I trust him enough to obey him when it looks like I won't get ahead if I don't do this? So one of my favorite stories is a buddy from New York who, um, he uh, just felt really convicted about Sabbath, felt convicted about overwork. And so he went to a small group. He said, I just feel like God's telling me I need to work 40 hours a week and no more. And they're like, in New York City, working 40 hours a week is like part-time. That's, they're like, you won't get anywhere. You'll never get a raise. You'll never get a promotion. And he's just like, he's like, it's just what I'm going to do. And, he, and he's like, I'm going to trust God that this is the thing that I'm supposed to do. And he did it. Within a year, he got promoted. Within the next year, he got promoted two more times. And his income quadrupled in two years. Just by listening to the Lord and saying, I'm going to work in a different way than everybody else because God owns everything. If he owns everything, he can give me a promotion and give me money, give me, um, you know, like uh, uh, promotions, all that stuff. I can trust him. But the ethical is like, do things right. I win, you win. Be good and do good, right? And then the last one is this thing called redemptive. So this is creative restoration through sacrifice. This is to bless others, renew culture, and give of ourselves. So these people pursue it, and I sacrifice, and we win. Which sounds like the gospel, right? Jesus calls you to come and die to yourself so that others might live. Paul actually says in Corinthians, he's saying, death is at work in us so that life might be at work in you. You know, the same thing, he's like, we're hard-pressed, we're crushed, we're perplexed, <laughs> right? And yet, life is coming so the motivating force behind this is the redemptive way is fundamentally other-centered to love and to serve. So this I sacrifice, we win, love and serve, right? So, so we get these choices in how we live and how we act and how we work every day. Within whatever framework you're in, whether you're an owner or an employee, you get to choose how you respond to what's happening inside the organization that you work, right? Whether you're going to be exploitative, ethical, or try to push what they would call this redemptive edge, right? There's a redemptive edge of things. How close can we get to that redemptive edge, right? And, and can I just say, this is not about perfection. It's not about perfection. It's not about if you get to the redemptive thing, you'll be perfect and everything will go perfect. No, no, no. Uh, if anybody here has lived with Jesus for a long time, the redemptive edge is messy, <laughs> And there's losses there, and there's pushback. You might get to the redemptive, and you're back in the ethical. You're, you mean, you're, just, you're trying to press on things that say, how close to the kingdom of God can I get in this place? So, so what does this look like? Um, I'm, I'm going to move forward in strategy, right? So I love it. In, in the strategy of what you do, again, whether you're a nonprofit or for-profit, whether you're a lawyer or you're oil and gas, you're a teacher, right? That center, if you're in the exploitative, your goal is to leverage culture, Right? How do I leverage culture to get what I want? And, and this is probably nowhere seen better right now than technology companies. How do we leverage your inability to put your device down to make money? 
How do we leverage addiction to get clicks, right? And I don't know, how, how many of you have watched The Social Dilemma? The, um, yeah, so they're literally like, they know the worse the thing is that you're watching, the longer you'll watch it. So the longer you stay on YouTube down the rabbit hole, the things you watch will get darker and darker and darker and darker. And it's purposeful. It's literally will leverage the culture of today to win. Their win is money, but their win means your loss. And when you look at the, the catastrophic effect in the culture, you look at children, you look at families, um, you look all across the board. That's leveraging culture. And the next one is to advance culture, which is to like not make it worse, but not actually make it better. Just, we're just going to play in the culture, in the stream, and to try to not do anything unethical, right? And then the last is to renew culture. What does it look like in your industry to renew culture? Or to make things new, right? To make things new. So one of, the, one of these things that... Um, there's this car dealership. I think they were in North Carolina. They realized through uh, their, own, um, their own practice, but also through some research they read that poor people almost always pay more for cars. Just across the board, they, they pay more for their vehicles. And mostly because they don't know how to negotiate. Nobody's ever taught them. I was a pastor's kid. I don't know how to negotiate. I call Clay Hubbard. He's not here today, but I don't think. Maybe he is, but I, Clay loves to negotiate. So I'll say this for the record. Call him if you need to negotiate something. Because I'm just like, I don't know, what's it cost? I'll pay that. I just want to, I don't like money. I'm a pastor's kid. I don't know anything. And you know, so it's like, I'm sure we always paid more for our cars than we should have because we didn't know anything. So this guy with all of his dealerships, he said, listen, there's one set price. We're going to put it on the thing. Here's how much the car cost us. Here's how much we're making. Here's all these things. Everybody pays the same price. No negotiation. That's a way to renew culture, right? That's a way to make sure that everyone is being treated fairly. And what's cool about that is the people who are on the, the margins and who are the least of these actually get raised up, right? Isn't that beautiful? I love that. So that's a way to think about operations, right? You can either use people, you can respect people, or you can bless people. And again, the ethical's good. Respect, please respect people. Can I just say that? I'm, that's, it's not a negative zone, but it's also maybe not enough, depending on where, where you're at with, with the Lord, where you're at with your business, where you're at with your, your leadership in a place, right? Is this thing of like, but here, here's, um, I had a friend who was a pastor, and I experienced this a little bit as a youth pastor. He went back to the town that he was a youth pastor, and this girl called him, and she's like, hey, I saw you're in town speaking, can we get coffee? And this girl was like a leader in his youth group. She's a rock star. And he was like, yeah, that'd be awesome to catch up, see where you're at. They sat down for coffee and she go, they're talking and she finally was like, hey, I want to talk to you about something. She was like, I just want to make sure you're not leading people in the way you were when you were my youth pastor. And she was like, oh, well, what? And she was like, you used me to grow your youth group. I was popular. Everybody liked me. You made me a leader. She's like, you, you used my gifts and I didn't get very much in return. Like, you got all the glory. You built a big youth ministry. You were a big leader. You were, it was like this crazy thing. And he was like, I sat there in, in tears, and I, I had to admit, you were right. Yeah, in that stage of my leadership, I used other people's influence to gain influence for myself, right? Rather than my goal being to build her as a leader and let her bless the people around her, right? It's dangerous. If we're a leader, if you're in any leadership capacity, it's really easy to just use people, 
I've got a chessboard, and how do I move you around to get to the place where I win, rather than saying, how do I bless the people who work for me or the people I work for, right? So if you're an employee, you have a choice to either bless the person over you or try to use them to advance your own career. So I I had a conversation with somebody one time. They were really struggling with the person they work for. And it was because they kind of disagreed on the direction of things. And I I said, I I think the thing you're mixing up is your job is to help them succeed at what they want to succeed at. If you work for somebody. Your job isn't to get them to do what you want them to do. Your job is to help them succeed at what they want to succeed at. And if there's a point you don't want to do that anymore, you should quit your job and go work for somebody else, right? Like if you can't do that, that's what you should do. But if you can do that, it's amazing what God will do in your life as you humble yourself to follow someone and help them succeed. Bless them, right? Last one. As a leader, that center exploited, if you can either live for yourself, you can improve yourself, or you can die to yourself, right? So self-improvement's healthy. It's good. We should all be practicing that, but that's not the final stage for a Christian. Final stage for a Christian is allowing ourselves to die to ourselves, and it's really hard. I mean, it's, 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 it's not an easy thing to do, right? And yet Jesus calls us to die for ourselves. So, so here's, here's the issue that I see. Many of us, we, we have gone to church with people, and then we, we see them at church, and then we go work for them, and we realize that that person exploits people. <laughs> and it's interesting, because I, I think the most damage is done to Christian witness actually in the marketplace, right? Because we come here and we read our Bible and we worship, we do all those things, and yet if your business or your work, like, like Greg said last week, if you're a complainer and a gossip at your work and everybody knows that you're a small group leader or you're on the worship team or you're a Christian, what is their view of Jesus having been around you? I mean, it would literally be like, I thought Christianity was supposed to change your life, <laughs> I thought it was supposed to renew you from the inside out. I thought it was supposed to sanctify you and purify you. And as you walk with him, you become more and more and more and more like him. Right? That's, that's the point. You're being redeemed. And as you're being redeemed, you're doing redemptive things in the world. And it's funny, as I read Proverbs, like the thing I get most out of Proverbs, everybody has something, but it, it's just mostly to be silent. <laughs> I'm a, anybody, verbal processors in here? Anybody? Can we unite over a second of just being like, oh man, if I would just shut up, I would stay out of so much trouble. But I've got to like, I've got to work my way through things. And there's just times where the Lord's just been like, hey, as you learn to be silent, things will go a lot better for you. Right? He says, many words cause great offense. That's what the Proverbs say. <laughs> and I'm just like, man, I love people who are just, I'm like, they're just so silent. They just, everybody likes them because they never say anything, right? And I get in trouble all the time. But it's this thing of saying like, man, as the Lord's redeeming that part of me, I get better and better and better at leading people because I can hold my tongue better. And there's, there's times where I, I fail miserably. And there's times where I walk out, I was like, whew, man, oh, I held my tongue. That was so hard to do. <laughs> but it's like, I think I did well. I think I like, I, I did it, you know? And it, then somebody's like, man, you were really great in that meeting. I'm like, I didn't say anything. And they're like, yeah, I know. <laughs> you didn't screw it up. Um, and, and so as we think about this, uh, here, here's what I just want to say. I know this has felt like you're like, okay, where is this going? I, I just want to go back to like, 
every single day that you go to work is an opportunity for you to renew culture around you. It is literally a giant opportunity for you to love and serve and sacrifice for human beings in the way that Jesus did for you, right? And whether you're a leader or an owner or whether you're an employee, and and it doesn't matter what you do. You might drive a truck and sit in that thing all alone every day, and yet in your truck, you interact with hundreds of human beings. Are you going to wave at people, you know? (laughs) Are you going to speed? Are you going to cut them off? Are you going to tailgate? I mean, it's like, there's literally, to the tiniest things, there's ways that we can love and bless people that we never think about. And then the last thing is, is um, I love the way that our spiritual gifts can get uh, enacted through our work every day. So every day in your work is an opportunity to pray It's an opportunity to encourage. It's an opportunity to exhort. It's an opportunity to stand up for people, right? Who might be bullied. They might be on the underside of power. They may not know um, how to get along in the world. And it's your chance to step in and help and serve people. And so that that redemptive thing, creative restoration through sacrifice. So I, I would love for you to think through, what does that look like for me in my industry? Right? And then the, the, the last thing I want to do, I want to invite the band to, to come back up. Um, so as you go today, I would love for you to pray through this week. What is my kingdom objective in my work? Right? And, and there's nothing you could do that couldn't have a kingdom objective unless it's, you know, Uh, like, if you run a payday loan center, I'm sorry, you should close and walk away. Like, there's no kingdom objective in that. It it is exploitative. There's there's certain things that you, you can't get out of that zone, but almost everything else, right? Most things you can. Um, I'm sorry if you own a payday loan center, but that's what Jesus would tell you if you were here. Um, (laughs) So what's the kingdom objective in your role? Because you, if, if you don't have that so clearly, you could just go to work for years and years and years and miss so many opportunities. And there's so many hurting, confused, broken, angry, fearful people who surround you every day who just need a Christian to be their friend, to listen to them, to love them, to have grace for their problems and their life and their hurts and their wounds. Uh, one of my favorite stories is a guy named Lee Strobel. Uh, he wrote a book called Case for Christ. You might have heard of it. He tells the story. He was working at the Chicago, big Chicago newspaper. He was a reporter. And he's walking down the hallway, and he's like, the Holy Spirit literally is like, hey, go share the gospel with that guy, one of his coworkers. And he's just like, this guy's like a well-known atheist. And he's like, aggressively atheist. And he's like, all right, walk by the office. He's like, is that you, Lord? He's like, then I walked by again. He's like, yep, him. He's like, are you sure? You know, it's like this bargaining with God. Somebody else, is there an easier target? You know, and he's like, no, no, no. So finally I go in there. I just sit down and say, hey, we've known each other for a long time. You know I'm a Christian. I just need to share my testimony with you. And he's like, the guy sat there and listened. He's like, and it was, that was it. Nothing happened. The guy didn't fall on his knees and accept Jesus. And he's like, okay, Lord, I was faithful. He went into ministries, working at this big church. He was speaking at a conference, and a guy walked up to him, and he says, hey, you don't know me, but about 15 years ago, I was behind a desk at the newspaper getting a stain out of the floor. 
And you walked into the office and you shared the gospel with the guy who was sitting in the chair. And he's like, in that moment, I gave my life to Jesus. And he's like, I left that building. I never saw you again. I never thought I'd see you again in my whole life. I just want to say thank you for being obedient. Isn't that amazing? Just in the middle of his job, (laughs) just doing what Jesus would have done, which is listen and see what's the Father doing in this place. All right? And and so I would just want to encourage you. I want you to stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Because I think this is so important. I think there's so many people in your workplace right now who are near to the kingdom. They're open, they're wondering, they're questioning, and all they need is a Christian in their life who can actually live like Jesus, who can do the things that Jesus would do if he were there. So if you just bow your heads and close your eyes, I just want to pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for work. Thank you for work, Jesus, all the work. And thank you for the work that we don't love right now. And thank you for the work that we do love right now because all of it can be used to love you in return, to honor you, to bless you, to serve you. So I pray for every person right now. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give them a kingdom objective in their work. I pray that they would be able to see with kingdom eyes why they are where they are and what it is you've brought them there to do beyond just being excellent at whatever they do, Lord. But it would actually be like something even bigger than just performing well. And Lord, I pray that we would see a great revival in Oklahoma City in businesses and nonprofits and schools as Christians go and be salt and light every day. We love you, Jesus, and your worth our creative restoration through sacrifice. You're worth it because you did that for us. And so we just want to love you in return. We want to love you in return. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to sing. And I just invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to listen. One last quote. I'm going to invite the prayer team back up. If you have any prayer needs surrounding one, anything in your life, you're just like, I came here for some, I need prayer for healing or for relationships might be this topic. It might be work. We would love to pray for you, but uh, one of the ancient fathers, he said this, he says, as the soul is to the body, so the Christian is to the culture. So what is the soul? The soul is what gives us meaning. Without a soul, we're just material things. You live and you die and you go away and that's it. But with a soul, so Christians are what bring meaning to the world. So you're, you're a carrier of hope and meaning and purpose in your workplace every day. So I just want to bless that. So we're just going to sing. Ask the Holy Spirit. Just say, speak to me about this thing. What is my objective? What are you doing around me? How can I join you in renewing all things? Amen. Let's sing.